Well, it is great to be with you all today, and uh, Jason, you're right, this, is, this completes it for me. So I have been hearing so much about this campus, and being a board member over the last two years, I can't tell you how many extra hours I have spent in board meetings talking about what Nolensville was going to do. So I am really, really thankful to be here and see, because I know that the campus here was, uh, this was a question for a very long time. And uh, like I said, it was a topic of discussion over and over and over for I think, I think that literally the two years that I was uh, on the board up until now. And so what a blessing to be here with you all, to see this building and to uh, worship with you all today. And what a uh, incredible opportunity we have as a body to reach this community for Christ. So we're super excited about that. And I'm super excited, Jason, to be here with all of you guys today. So uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, as you all probably know today, Philippians chapter 3. So I'm going to let you go ahead and begin to make your way to Philippians 3. And I know that Jason has already been in this text and has already set up a lot of what is happening here. But if you will do me the favor of sort of like if we could just kind of jump on an airplane and if we could not just go to a completely different location, the location of Philippi, uh, but if we could also go back a couple thousand years. I mean, we are making a massive cultural journey. We're making a religious uh, journey. We're, we're making a time journey. And so there's a lot that's happening here. And for us to really understand what this text is about, we need to understand a little bit about Rome, a little bit about Philippi, a little bit about the Jews, a little bit about this new Jesus movement that was taking place. And something that was really compelling for me over the last few weeks is just understanding that, and, and we'll get to why this is important in a few minutes or more toward the end, but really understanding the fact that the Roman Empire at this time had taken over just a vast amount of the world. I mean, Rome was large and in charge, and Philippi was one of the colonies, one of the outposts of the Roman Empire. So even though it was something like 800 miles away, it was part of the Roman Empire, and those in Philippi had Roman citizenship, which was very desirable. It was very um, wanted. Now, Paul had made missionary journeys to Philippi, and there were people who were coming to Christ. There were Gentiles with Roman citizenship who were coming to Christ. And obviously, this was, did not sit well with the Judaizers, those who, as we're going to see today, Paul says were enemies of the cross of Christ. They were enemies of Jesus Christ because for thousands of years, they had taken their cues from the law of Moses the, the Torah, from the, the, the law, there are, we know the Ten Commandments, but uh, a lot of us, we don't realize that there were another uh, 603 laws in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees and those who were very serious about the Jewish religion, they spent all day making sure that they knew the law, that they were adhering to the law, and they believed that their righteousness could be found in the law. They did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They did not believe that through his death on the cross and through his resurrection that they could receive righteousness that way. That is not 
how uh, they viewed it. They believed that your righteousness was what you could achieve from the law. And this went completely against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it went against the gospel that Paul was preaching. And so what was happening here is that uh, as we begin to get into this text, is that there were those that were coming along outside behind what Paul had done and who saying to the Gentile converts, listen, this whole thing about you having righteousness in Christ Jesus and becoming part of the covenant of God, no. What needs to happen is you, if you really want to be a convert, you need to have the full measure of the law put on you and you need to adhere to that and that is where you are going to find your righteousness. That is how you will have entrance into the covenant of God. And Paul is, he's passionate, to say the least, uh, when he writes this letter. And this is where we will pick up. And what I'm going to do is, because this is such a, we're taking a whole chapter, which is, by the way, impossible, which I'm sure you felt this, Jason, flying through the book of Philippians. We could spend all year in it. But I want to take the first 11 verses, and then I'll take the remaining in just a few minutes. So this is chapter 3, verse 1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. These are all those people that have come behind him. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this powerful passage. Uh, Lord, we need Jesus. We need you. Lord, we are in times that I think all of us could agree, whether we're 85 or we're five, we are in times that we have never seen before in our lifetime. And we need you, Lord. We want to know you. We want to have the zeal that the Apostle Paul has when he says, I consider everything a loss compared to having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, meet us today. We thank you that your word goes forth that it moves, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would touch our lives and touch our hearts as we make our way through this passage. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul here, 
he starts off by saying, watch out for these people, those who are coming and saying to the new Gentile converts, you need to be circumcised. And the reason that they were saying that was because that was the very first thing that you had to do as a Jew, the very first signal of, of um, being part of the covenant of God was to be circumcised. And so they're coming around and they're trying to put all of this extra, these extra things on those who have come to Christ in Christ alone. And early in this chapter, we see Paul says that we are the true circumcision, those who are in the spirit, those who have come to Christ and have trusted in his death and his resurrection. And so that's kind of what some of that means in the very beginning. But he says that um, we are the ones that are the true circumcision because we do not put any confidence in the flesh. That's at the end of chapter 3. We don't put any confidence in the flesh. In other words, the Jews put all of their confidence in their fleshly, earthly ability to be good, to do all of the things that they felt like they needed to do to please God. And Paul says, I used to be that, but now I don't put any confidence in any of that because I have found all of my worth, all of my salvation, all of my joy, all of my life is bound up in the person of Christ. And so I don't put any confidence in those things. And then he goes on to list seven characteristics about his life for why of everyone on planet earth he would actually have reason to have confidence and this is actually really cool because i don't know how many of you know what education you came from or what kind of a background you came from but i'm sure you have heard <clears throat> well-known famous leaders in the history that have said religion is for the weak religion is for those who can't get it together. Religion is those who need a crutch in life, who can't hack it on their own. And Paul is going to say, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ was not for me because I couldn't hack it. Let me show you how I did it. And he, essentially he's saying Jesus is for me because I have found nothing that has compared. But it wasn't because Paul was weak. It wasn't because he needed a crutch. And it wasn't because he couldn't do life the way that the Jews were saying he needed to do life. In fact, he's going to show, uh, list these seven things that talk about his heritage and his achievements. The very first one is he says, listen, you guys, this is verse five, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. Well, for us today, we're like, great, Paul, good for you. That's a great tidbit of fact that probably feels like TMI right now. But in that day, to be circumcised on the eighth day, basically what he was saying is, I was born a Jew. I, I, some of you guys have come to Judaism. Some of you guys who are boasting, you've come to it. But you've come to it later in life. I was born into it. I came from it right away. So I have a, a connection to all of this that some of you all don't have. Then he says, I am from the nation of Israel, or some of your translations might say from the race of Israel. Again, Paul is identifying from birth as the people, the covenant people of God. He was saying, I came from it from the beginning. I'm not, I wasn't a convert. I wasn't a Gentile who turned Jew. I was born into this race of Israel. Then he says, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. And again, we kind of race through these things and we're like, that's great, Paul. That sounds great. But this was significant. King Saul, the very first king that Israel ever had, was from the tribe of Benjamin. 
the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe that was loyal to Judah and actually went into the exile and came back from the exile when, when Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilt the temple, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, it was the Benjamites along with Judah that came back. So he could still trace his lineage. Mordecai in the book of Esther was from the tribe of Benjamin. So basically, it was pretty sweet to be from the tribe of Benjamin. And he's saying, I bet a lot of you guys can't say that you were circumcised on the eighth day from the race of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, but I'm not going to stop there. He says, I am also a Hebrew of Hebrews. Again, I read through past these things and I think, great, I don't know, really know what that means, but it sounds great, Paul, I'm happy for you. But when you go back and you look, you realize that a Hebrew of Hebrews was one of the Jews who had still spoke the language of Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in the language of Hebrew, but you had all of these Jews that were scattered all over the place and all over the Roman, Roman Empire, and they had begun to speak Greek. So there were a lot of these Jews that were bragging about their adherence to the law, but they spoke Greek and they studied the law in Greek. And Paul goes, guess what? I've got one up on you. I study it in Hebrew and I, I speak it and know it and read it and have memorized it in its original language. Now, we could think right now that Paul's bragging and I kind of like it. I mean, if I just, I kind of like everything that he's throwing out, but we're going to find out in just a second. He's not bragging at all. He's trying to show these Jews that have taken pride in everything that he is better, he is more, and he still counts it as nothing. But again, he is not done. Now he is going to move on to his achievements. That's just kind of all that he sort of had um, that he was born into. But now he's going to say, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Well, there were all different types of Jews, and the Pharisees were the ones that were the most meticulous to the law. They were the ones that were really obsessed with the clean and the unclean. They were the ones that wanted to be separate and holy and set apart. And it was a very big deal to be a Pharisee. And so this was part of his achievement. He says, a Pharisee, um, uh, and uh, regarding the law, he was a Pharisee. And then he says, regarding zeal, if you're wondering if I was passionate about my um, Jewish heritage, yes, I was so passionate that I persecuted the church. And we're going to, we, we know that Paul deeply regrets this. It's one of the greatest regret, regrets of his life that he persecuted the church. But in Jewish culture, to be zealous and to persecute or to attack those who came against you, that was a stamp of approval. That was a badge. And so Paul goes, you want to talk about zeal? I'll talk to you about zeal. I physically, violently persecuted the church that stood against Judaism. And then he says, regarding, this is the king, this is, the, this is his linchpin right here, this is number seven, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. Now, Paul's not saying that he was perfect here, but he was saying as far as what the law preached and what it was all about, he's saying, I was blameless. I had it. I had it in, in its full measure. I was walking alongside it in all the ways. And as far as that type of righteousness is concerned, I had it lock, stock, and barrel. Basically, Paul is coming out and he's saying, all of you Judaizers that are coming and you're trying to put your lawn on the, these new believers in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, there's nobody that did it better 
that had the pedigree, that had the social status, that had the religious status, that w was more achieved, that was more studied. There, nobody did it better than me. Nobody had it more than me. Nobody could have claimed this righteousness more than I have claimed it. And this is what is so shocking, what he says after all of this, but he says, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Paul is not saying, guys, I defected to Christianity because I was marginally Jewish and this felt better to go this way. Or, hey, guys, I defected to Christianity because I just couldn't really do Judaism. It just was too much for me. He says, I became a Christian because I have found nothing on this planet that compares to knowing Jesus Christ. That is why I have become a believer in Jesus Christ. Not because I wasn't educated, not because I needed a crutch, not because I was weak, but because I have found all of my righteousness in him because I have found everything that is worth living, all joy, all peace, all life, all hope. He has completely consumed me. And as a result, every single thing that I had achieved, it's not that there wasn't value, or there, not that there wasn't quality in those things, but everything that I've achieved, it is valueless now. Because my, my, my life is different. My objectives are different. In fact, when Paul says, this is so interesting, that everything was a gain to me, I have considered loss, those are financial terms. It is like an accountant is writing this. That word gain could be asset. The word loss could be liability. Um, what Paul is saying is that everything that I thought was so incredible and worth living for and even dying for, now that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm in the kingdom of God, all of that suddenly is not just worth nothing, but it's actually like a liability. My, my life's objective is different and those things don't matter anymore. I remember about, this was uh, three years ago, I think, three and a half years ago, I was in Hawaii, and I had cat. It was a friend's uh, birthday, a big birthday celebration, and I had cashed in like twelve years of Marriott points to stay at the Ritz Carlton in Maui, right on the ocean. And so it was one of those experiences where you kind of get there and you feel very out of place because because I wasn't born into money and I really didn't do anything to get any money. So if I'm, you know, likening it to Paul's pedigree and achievements, I really didn't have any of that. But it was really fun to be on the premises and to stay there for a week. But the part that was not fun was in the middle of that vacation, some of you guys may have heard about this, but I got a text message and the friends who were with me got a text message to our phones and it said, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Yay for this fun vacation. Um, this was during all the North Korea stuff. Some of you guys may have heard or seen this on the news that 
they accidentally sent out this text to every single person that was in on the uh, any Hawaii island, and it was a mistake, but we didn't know it was a mistake because the text said, this is not a drill. <laughs> this is not a mistake. And so I went running down to the concierge, and I said to her, and meanwhile, you could see people just frantic, I mean, just frantic. And I said, so is this something that happens often? Like, for instance, in Tennessee, we get tornado sirens all the time. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. How big of a deal is this? She said, this has never happened. I've nev this has never once happened. And she said, but we have been in training because of the whole North Korea issue. And what we do know is that if a missile has launched, it will get here in 20 minutes. Okay. Well, this is fabulous news. <laughs> All right. So my friends and I, we go outside in front of the Ritz-Carlton, and there are wealthy people everywhere with really expensive tennis rackets, really expensive golf clubs. They're pulling up in their really expensive cars. They're getting in and out. They've just come from their really expensive breakfast, and they're on the, to their really expensive excursions, and you could see the life blood drained out of everyone's face. Not that there is anything wrong with having wealth or having money. My point is, is in that moment, it counted as nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was completely valueless. In fact, it was in some ways a liability. It could do nothing for any of us if a ballistic missile was about to hit Hawaii. Wasn't that the quality of anything of those things had changed in and of themselves. It's just that living in the new reality of a missile that's about to blow up the island, that all of a sudden, in that new reality, it doesn't have any value. And I think that's what Paul is saying that when I came to Christ and I entered into the kingdom and this new reality of living everything for him and my citizenship changed, my past changed, my present changed, my future has changed, everything that I used to live for, I realized in this new kingdom, it, it is worthless. All of my righteousness now is found in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. That is who I am living for. And so to try to pull Philippians 3 together, what I wanted to do today was simply look at what Paul has to say about his past, his present, and his future. And as a result, it's what he has to say about our past, our present, and our future. And first, <clears throat> number one, Paul's past couldn't add or take away from the righteousness he had in Christ. I'll say that again. I don't have anything on the screens because I was on vacation this week. And so uh, pulling this together early was difficult. But Paul's past couldn't add or take away from the righteousness he had in Christ. Now, why do I say it couldn't add or take away? It couldn't add anything because he realized that his righteousness would be found totally and solely in Jesus Christ. That only he could give Paul the righteousness and only Jesus could give us the righteousness that we need to be found in him. But his past also couldn't take away. Paul persecuted the church. He had Christians killed. He stood by when Stephen the apostle 
was stone and was not just standing by, was part of that. And some of us in this room, we're okay with realizing that our past can't add to our righteousness, but we also haven't settled the fact that it cannot take away from it either. The failures, those regrets, the sin, the shame. You know, I was thinking about the song we sang today, I was buried beneath my shame. We, all of that, and we think, Lord, is that going to take away from the righteousness? And Paul here is very clear. My past doesn't add to the righteousness that's found in Christ. It doesn't take away from the righteousness that is found in Christ. It is in full. And we take no pride nor do we, in our past, nor do we take glory in our past. We find everything in the person of Jesus. We also see from this text that not only did Paul not rely on his past, but as we read where he says that, um, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We see that Paul is consumed, absolutely consumed with knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 10, I just want to reiterate this. He says, my goal is to know him. It, it, notice this, and this is so helpful for me. It's not to get through coronavirus. It's not to make, it's, my goal is not that the stock market holds, although, dear Lord, I hope it does. It's that, and, you know, and it's not, my goal is not that um, the kids go back to school, or my goal is not that I get back on the road. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and don't we stop there. Have you ever heard anybody say, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, and we're like, amen, preach it. And then Paul says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. There is a fellowship that comes when we suffer and share in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. That we, our goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. We want to know that. But also, Paul said, but I, I'm willing and even eager to fellowship in his suffering, to take up my cross. There is a fellowshipping that you and I get to do in our sufferings that cannot happen in any other place. I think as we're walking through this pandemic, this is hard, this is hard for us. It, it's catastrophically hard for some in the room. It's, it's mildly fatiguing for others in the room. But the bottom line is this is a hard season, but it is also an opportunity to realize that everything that we have been putting our hope in and our trust in doesn't have value in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is an opportunity for us to, to know him and the power of his resurrection, to see that resurrection power exercised in our lives. But also it is an opportunity for if we are in a place of suffering, if you are in a place of suffering, to lean into the fellowship, the fellowship, the communion of Christ in a way that is unparalleled. Paul says that's the goal. And so not only um, could Paul's past not add or take away from the righteousness he had in Christ, but number two, Paul's present was consumed with his relationship with Jesus. Paul's present was consumed with his relationship with Jesus. You can go home today and just 
since there are no sports on anymore, you can meditate on verses 7 through 11, and you'll see Paul consumed, consumed, consumed with his relationship with Christ. This was not just a head knowledge. This was not just a checking off of the box. You can see that Paul has had a living, breathing encounter with the living God. And now I want to, uh, for us to read the back half of chapter 3. Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal or, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. But listen to this. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Okay, so much in this passage. Uh, but I want you to uh, note this part in verse 12, something else about the way that knowing Christ affects the present reality of Paul but he says that, listen, I haven't reached the goal. I haven't found perfection. He said, I, I want to make sure that you all are clear that even though I'm consumed with Christ Jesus, and even though my righteousness is found in him, I have not found total wholeness and completion. That will come when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, comes back and I meet him in heaven. But he says, I haven't reached the goal. I haven't been made totally whole. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I kind of have the NIV, this is the CSB, I have the NIV rolling around in my head, which is something to the effect of, I make every effort to take hold of that for which I have been taken hold of. In other words, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have been taken hold of for a purpose for his kingdom. Every single one of us, no one... Just because I'm teaching today, and just because, you know, Jason, you're pastoring, and Charlotte, we know you as our prayer warrior, and just because we might have those visible roles, every single one of us has been taken hold of for a purpose. Now, I don't know if that has begot, gotten fuzzy to you over the last seven months or six months, however many years we've been in coronavirus land, but it's this has been... This is an encouragement to me because this has been challenging for me. Because I had uh, worked the last six years building up an event that is predicated upon people, be large amounts of people being in the same room together in close proximity to one another. It's predicated on being able to get on airplanes. And, and bottom line is I've had to cancel all of those. 
uh, my work has really changed. My finances have changed. The people who work for me, that has changed. It's all changed. And as I was thinking this past week and taking walks and hikes and praying, one of the things that I kept thinking was, Lord, have you dropped me? Like in the, like, I mean, if you kind of, did you, were you like busy and I fell out of your pocket or I, because I don't know what I'm supposed to do really right now. And I have things, but it's not totally clear to me. And I'm afraid that I'm going to miss it, you know, because all these things have gone away. And so our knee jerk reaction is to fill it up. And, and I, I took a great amount of hope and encouragement from this verse because I realized I've been taken hold of. Now, in this exact moment, specifically, I'm not sure exactly what that is supposed to look like. But what Paul reminds me is that I am to make every effort to take hold of Christ and to take hold of what it is that I have been taken hold of for. And I know, one thing I know is that I love teaching the Word. So today... I get to be here today, and hopefully this is part of my taking hold of what I've been taking hold of for. I may not know all the specifics, but this gave me a lot of encouragement and a lot of hope. Um, we see Paul is exerting a tremendous amount of effort. I think sometimes we do a disservice to a, to a chapter like Philippians 3 because we go, oh, well, the law, that's when everybody was really busy and they were working really hard and we're saved by grace, and so now we just don't have to worry about it. No, Paul, Paul went from really, really busy, persecuting the church, keeping the law, studying the law, to really, really busy, but for a completely different reason and fueled by a completely different power. Paul is zealous. He's using athletic terminology here. He's pressing forth. He's fighting for the goal. He's pursuing it. He's taking hold of. And so for us too, Paul's presence was peaceful and busy. And if busy stresses you out too much, we, you can substitute the word active. But Paul's presence was peaceful because he knew what he had been taken hold of for. So that part had been settled. That part was, he was secure in that. But he was very busy. And I love what Jason said in the introduction today, that if ever there was a time for us to figure out how to serve, now is the time. Because otherwise, we just focus on all the ways that coronavirus is messing up our lives. And that is not a good place to be. In fact, Paul opens up his chapter and he says, rejoice, because it's a safeguard. Rejoice in the Lord. But Paul is super peaceful. He's not striving in his flesh. He has the gift of the righteousness of Christ, but he is busy. He is not binging Netflix right now. I'm not judging anybody. Just saying that's not what he was doing. He had a call on his life. And then, this is what I'll end with. If you'll look back down, um, he, he talks about those who are focused on earthly things, but in verse 20 he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now that seems, Jason, I'm in the red, but I know I'm in the red, so I'm, I'm closing that up here. Um, our citizenship, 
When he says our citizenship is in heaven, that would have been such a powerful statement to those in Philippi because guess what? Those in Philippi had Roman citizenship. They were part of the elite. They had it made. They, they were the favored, powerful ones, and Paul had Roman citizenship. And so when Paul says this, we just think, oh, yeah, great, we have heavenly citizenship. No, Paul is making such a marked statement. He is saying, and he could say it to us as Americans, our citizenship is not about what we have here on earth. It doesn't matter what our pedigree is, what our wealth is, what the stock market's doing, what our house looks like, whether or not we have a pool in the backyard or not, although that would be really nice. He is saying that our citizenship, where we actually belong, is in heaven. And as a result, we see that Paul's future is unparalleled. It cannot be compared to anything that we live for here on earth. It cannot be compared even to Roman citizenship. It is far surpassing. Paul's saying, I'm not living for the earthly things. I'm living for what is eternal. This chapter has helped lift my gaze upward. It has helped me understand my past. It has helped me realize what my present needs to look like. And it has helped me put a stake in the ground for my future because we as children of God are citizens in heaven and we need to live like that. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Um, Lord, you've used this chapter to convict me. Lord, and it is my prayer and it is my the cry of my heart that I, like Paul, and that we, like Paul, would be consumed with knowing you, that we would be consumed with serving you. Lord, that our past, present, and future would all be in alignment because our citizenship is not here. It is in heaven, and we want to live in light of that. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.